and welcome back to the Postpartum Therapist Podcast. I am so excited today for this interview. This interview is really special to me because today you are going to meet the yang to my yin. Um, This person went through the hardest moments of my life with me. She was there at 2 a.m., 4 a.m., 11 p.m., any time of day, and I truly don't know what I would have done without her support. So I want to welcome Brooke. Brooke was a friend in high school. We kind of went different paths after high school, not in a bad way, just life took us different courses. And then we rekindled our fire um, after we both learned that we were pregnant and do it at the same time. So Brooke, welcome. Could you please introduce yourself? Hello, my name is Brooke, uh, maiden name Malish, last name now Kita married. Yes, Jasmine and I were friends from grade school up. Um, like she said, you get older, you grow apart in uh, your adult lives, and then things happen and you grow back together. I couldn't agree more. Um, our relationship was and is so important to me. I would not have made it through the newborn days and all the other days to come without my friend. Um, yeah, I have three kids. Um, I have them all over the place. I have a bonus daughter who is 19 and a sophomore in college. I have a three and a half year old Stanley and then I have a 10 month old Thomas. So lots of things. Um, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much my introduction. All right. So we are going to get into it together today. So this is going to be more of a dialogue podcast versus some of the other ones. So Brooke and I were talking, and when we refer to ourselves as the yin and the yang, we had very opposite experiences from the moment of pregnancy. And so we wanted to share that because we talked about it as friends. A lot of times, if you think about somebody being completely opposite of you, you would think it would be like deter the friendship or maybe no longer allow you guys to feel like you can relate to each other. And ironically for Brooke and I, it was the opposite. We had very different experiences and we'll share all of those with you, but it really was supportive to our friendship to be able to bounce ideas back for going or when going through opposite things. So I talked to Brooke and I said, when did our opposites begin? And she reminded me that our opposites were from the very beginning of me very much wanting a planned pregnancy and hers being unplanned. Would you say, Brooke? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think from the very beginning, we were opposites, and it's just kind of funny how that works out, because yes, exactly, from the very beginning. Yeah, I was like, okay, I'm ready, quit my birth control, like, this is when I should, you know, have a period, and then this, you know, 14 days after this is when I'll try, and then I'll try every other day, and then blah, 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 and you were like, I am pregnant, and um, completely unexpected. Am I right with that? Yeah, absolutely. I was totally flabbergasted. It was not intentional. That's a weird word when talking about pregnancy, but it was not planned. Um, It was, you know, bad timing in my mind at the time. Um, So I was not overjoyed and, um, you know, all the things that come with a planned pregnancy, I I was the opposite. Um, So Jasmine and I were on the opposite sides of the spectrum right from the beginning with that. (laughs) So then we'll move up 
right? We'll move up to about 15 weeks for me because of course I had um, an aunt that was a sonographer and I don't know if it was at your 20 week appointment, but then we would be opposites again because I would be having a girl and Brooke would be having a boy. So that kind of continued. One thing, Brooke, I don't think I asked you and I don't know in the early beginning, were you sick or not with your pregnancy? No, I had a very what I would consider very easy first pregnancy. Um, I, I mean, I had minimal sickness, maybe the first six weeks or something, a little bit of nausea, but not, no, very, very easy. Okay. Same here. Yeah. I was going to say, I think I was nauseous and had the food aversions, you know, from week six to 10, but nothing too crazy there. Um, so then I think we overall, both of our pregnancies went pretty smooth compared to a lot of people's. And then would come dun, 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 labor and delivery, where we would again, the universe would say, you friends need to be opposite. So I, and I won't share too much of my experience because mine is in the book, so I'll spare you all that. But I did end up having, a, yeah, I'll just save all those details. They're all in there. Um, I would end up having a vaginal delivery. And Brooke, will you kind of go through what happened for your delivery because I think it's important for moms to know like I said mine's all in the book but I want to hear your experience of like you know how you led to your delivery everything that you encountered because I think it's important for other moms to hear yeah so um you know it was unplanned pregnancy one of the reasons and this is so crazy to say out loud as an adult but one of the reasons i did not want to have kids is because of labor and delivery i did not want to birth a child that was not appealing to me i didn't see the beautiful side of that it was just not something that i had any interest in doing um and so from the time i got pregnant um, not only were we surprised but then i was terrified um I had a really easy pregnancy. I never at any point felt like I'm so over this, get this baby out of me. Um, Stanley remained like up high in my rib cage and, you know, I worked at a factory at the time. So I was on my feet 10, 12 hours a day. Um, and it just, it wasn't bad. I never felt like that. I remember people at the end asking me, are you so over this? And I, I remember feeling like, man, no, I'm not like, but obviously that's the wrong answer because people keep asking me this. Um, so, you know, fast forward, I am six days overdue. Um, and they start talking about induction. Um, they had mentioned that he was quite big before they thought, um, just by measuring him. And they had mentioned that I should prepare myself for a C-section in the event that he was very big. And, you know, it was kind of funny because I have friends that have kids. And when I mentioned that they were early on talking about C-section, they were like, oh, come on. Like, you know, we're, we, we all had, you know, nine pound kids and you can do it. And, but I didn't know it was my first baby and this is what I was being told. And so anyways, I was um, six days past due and I was induced. So it was a scheduled induction. Um, we went to the hospital. It was much like checking into a hotel. Um, we got there, we got the gown on. Um, and then they just start all the things. Um, they started, you know, with Cervidil, they inserted it inside of me. Um, they checked me when I got there and he was head down, but he was not, you know, locked and loaded as they say. Um, he was still moving a lot. Um, yeah, I wasn't dilated. I didn't soften, nothing. So, you know, it was a long process. Uh, they started there and nothing was happening. Um, I remember when they would check me so bad. 
And I remember thinking, if I cannot handle being checked, how am I going to have this baby? And one of the doctors said to me, you know, well, it hurts because you're not dilated, like you're not ready. And that was probably the first time that I felt from a mother's perspective that, um, you know, like this is hard. (laughs) It's already hard to be a mom. I'm supposed to be able to do this because I'm a woman and we bear children, but I'm already failing at this. It's not working. Um, So long story short, it was a long, uh, drawn out um, induction. Uh, it ended with a C-section. It was not emergency. Um, they, I went through three doctors, so it had been 36 hours because um, they do 12-hour shifts. And it was the next doctor coming on, and all the nurses and doctors had been doing a thing where they were feeling my belly and guessing how big they thought the baby was. It was just kind of something silly to keep the pass, pass the time. And so this doctor came in, and I, um, she was going to check me, and I said, before you do that, you know, feel the baby. Tell me how big you think he is. So she just felt my belly, and I'll never forget it. She said, eight, nine, and you are not having this baby vaginally. And my mom was in there. My sister-in-law was in there. They were each holding a leg. (laughs) Um, They were trying to check me again. I had my hands under my hips. It was the only way they could check me was if I put my hands under my hips and tilted up. Um, And again, I was, you know, nothing was happening. And she said that to me and I was shocked. And, uh, you know, in that moment, it was like, I didn't. I never wanted to give birth. I never wanted to do that. But then when I found out that I wasn't going to, I was just like, you know, I didn't really know what to think. Um, Like I said, it kind of felt like a failure um, at the very beginning. So whatever, fast forward, um, they had just let me eat because I had been there like 48 hours. So we had to wait eight hours until our C-section. So we had it at midnight, which is not typical. You don't typically have a planned C-section at midnight. It's usually emergency. Um, But because they had given me all that medication and they had determined that he was too big and I needed a C-section, they wanted to do it as soon as possible, but, you know, had to wait till it was safe. Um, So I got to sit there and think about it for eight hours, and that was really hard. Uh, There was a lot of anxiety, um, you know. But we did it. I did it. And it wasn't, you know, rainbows and unicorns, but it was doable. And then we had this perfect baby. And sure enough, he was eight, nine. And, you know, I remember having the discussion with a doctor with my mom and sister-in-law and my best friend in the room. And I said, you know, I'm supposed to be able to do this. Like I'm supposed to. And she just said to me, she was like, look, we've given you all these medications and you're six days overdue. He's plenty big enough. He's rolling around up there. Like we have to listen to your body. And my professional opinion is that he is too big and that you, you know, you can't do it. And when I say you can't do it, I don't mean anything personal. I mean, your body, your bone structure, you you know, it's just not possible and we have to listen to your body. And when she got in there and she was doing the C-section, she peeked over the curtain and she said, we made the right choice. You are too narrow and you, you could not have a six pound baby. And, you know, I remember sharing that story with my same friends that are much smaller than me and had much, you know, same size babies are larger and they kind of like were baffled, but that was my experience. Um, I believe that I trust my doctor and yeah, that was, you know, how it worked out. It was a hard recovery, um, you know, but it was doable. We made it (laughs) and that's, you know, that's kind of it. So for the 36 hours, what were they doing? Because in my book, I write about like every intervention except for forceps were used on me to have heart. So for you, were they just doing the medication? Were they doing Pitocin? What was the 36 hours like for you? 
So they started off with um, inserting the cervidil um, inside of me um, to soften my cervix and which in turn should, you know, make you dilate. Um, they wait, I want to rem- say they have to wait eight hours after they insert it vaginally. Um, so you just, they put it in and then you just wait and you're just, you know, anticipating things to happen. Um, so then they come in and check you and, um, it wasn't, it wasn't working. So then they gave it to me orally. If I remember correctly, they gave it to me orally twice. And I think orally it was like between four to six hours. Um, but same thing. So they gave it to me, um, and they would come in in the middle of the night and they would check me and just nothing was happening. Um, at one point they gave me Pitocin and it started to make me contract. My stomach was, you know, rock hard and we were seeing the contractions and I was feeling I'm like strong period pains, but not anything like a mom that vaginally delivers. Um, And then they pumped me full of fluids to stop them because if you're not dilated and you're not softened and you're contracting, it's just causing stress on the mom and the baby. Um, You know, that happened a few times that, you know, one thing, would work but because my body wasn't doing what it was supposed to do then they would back off um they put in a foley catheter uh to try to the balloon um to try to get things going but they actually weren't able to get it in because i was not you know um dilated at all and it was like so painful so they tried that um yeah and that was pretty much it i remember the cervidil the pitocin um the cervidil was oral and internal, um, the Foley catheter, you know, a lot of walking, um, drink a lot of water, but it was crazy because at the time, um, I delivered during flu season. So, you know, it was limited guests, but you could still have guests. So I could have two people, um, at a time. And my mother-in-law came up there at one point, you know, everybody was so excited. My husband is eight years older than me and this was the first baby in their family in a very long time. And the first baby, um, you know, for my husband since his daughter and my first baby for my family. So we had a lot of people up there, but I remember my mother-in-law sitting across, you know, sitting across the room from me while this stuff was all going on. And she, she was watching the covers on my stomach on the blanket move because Stanley was so active, you know, throughout this whole time that you could watch him move. And she was like, that is just crazy. And another nurse came in and said the same thing. You know, nurses really can't give too much of their opinion, but she was like, that is crazy that he's moving that much. I mean, he would just roll from one side to the other and was just up in my ribs. And, you know, uh, at the end of it, that was what that doctor pretty much said was like, he would not be doing that. Like if he was in any way, shape or form getting ready to come out. So yeah, that was my experience. It was just long and drawn out and exhausting, um, you know, to do that for about 42 hours and then deliver your baby is hard. Um, I know that there's moms that, you know, labor for that long and then have a C-section and I can't imagine. For me, it was the fact that, you know, you're not sleeping that whole time you're in the hospital. So they're coming in and out, they're putting this stuff inside you. So, you know, we had a solid three days before we even had the baby. and then we had the baby at midnight. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you go to recovery. We were in recovery until 5 a.m. We finally got into a room at 5 a.m. And then the whole family's in there. So it was kind of a whirlwind, exhausting, you know, experience. And it was nothing like we expected it to be. I'm not going to say planned because I had no idea what I was going into. But 
it definitely was nothing like, um, you know, you see in the movies. <laughs> yeah, I just, I mean, I write about it. That exhaustion after that whole process and hours and hours of just like trying everything, it is the most tired I've ever been in my life. And, and tired's not even the word to describe it. I mean, exhausted sure but times 10 I don't know we need to like Webster needs another word for that because I don't know what it would be yeah it's uh, grueling to say the least so that's what we had in common I remember you know both and I remember you commented on a picture of like this picture shows how exhausted you are do you know what picture I'm talking about I do know what picture you're talking about and everybody else on Facebook and stuff was like unicorns and rainbows, you know, like you're, you're a glowing mom. And I texted you and was like, you look terrible (laughs) because I just knew that like in that moment, it was like pure exhaustion. I mean, it's just literally like the life has been taken out of you, which it has a life just came out of you, but it's just, you are completely exhausted. Yeah, and that was like my best attempt to smile with my new baby. And it was like, that's all I could give, you know? Yes. Yep. So we would go on, we would have a son and a daughter. And then here comes the next step. Breast bottle formula. So I've shared another podcast, so I'm not going to go through it again. I was able to breastfeed. Can you share what your journey was like? Because... And we're going to get to like a heartfelt moment because I feel like people underestimate how hard people try to breastfeed. And you were a huge, in- oh, I'm getting emotional. You were a huge inspiration. Here we go. Tears back. For my chapter, <laughs> crying over spilled milk, because I know how hard you worked as a friend and as a person and how much, how, ma- how many people can be dismissive of like what that process is like. So if you're comfortable, my would you share kind of your breastfeeding journey? Yeah, so I'm in the same page. I feel a little emotional just talking about it because I remember those moments for us. Um, But yeah, we were on opposite sides of the spectrum with that. Um, You were able to breastfeed and breastfeed successfully. Um, And I tried really hard. Um, You know, I had no desire to breastfeed before I had my baby. Uh, I thought it was weird. Um, I just did not see the bonding factor. Um, You know, I I just, it wasn't of interest to me. I went into it saying that, you know, if it works, great, I'll try it. If it doesn't, who cares? Um, But like with the birth process for me, um, I feel like I learned about myself in that time that If I say I'm not going to do it, that's fine. But if my body tells me it's not going to do it and doesn't give me the chance to make the choice, it's not fine. So I really struggled because I felt like a failure. And that's a hard feeling as a new mom. But I worked through it. I accepted the fact that it wasn't going to work and that I tried my best and I came to terms with the fact that whatever kept my baby fed is what was best. Um, I had a lot of support um, from both Jasmine 
and my other good friends and my husband. They watched me torture myself (laughs) for a long time because they knew that I had to do that. Um, And I had to make that decision. I don't know. Um, It was hard, but I am still glad that I did it. Um, I think that, you know, it showed a testament to the fact that as women, we are strong and we are resilient and we will fight for what is important to us. But ultimately, in the end, it didn't work out. But I know that I tried my hardest and that my son was fed and that's what was most important. And I mean, you did everything. Like if there was a strategy to try, you did it. I mean, you ate the cookies, you increased your water intake, right? You, you know, and for your second, changing your diet. And if you're comfortable, we'll get get into that because that's even, you know, that's more heartbreaking to be given a wrong diagnosis when you we're successfully breastfeeding, but we'll get into, that's her second one. We'll get into that. But you, you know, power pumping, you know, putting your boobs over a bed and like hanging them and pumping them and pumping for 30 minutes to maybe get half an ounce. And, and that was just one boob, you know? And I remember yeah. you doing all of these things and, you know, and then, you know, behind the scenes talking to other people, just being like, oh, wonder you know like talking kind of being shameful of people that formula feed and I was just like ah you guys don't understand so so, so moms tried so hard yeah it's yeah it was huge I mean I remember my best friend Christy was over and her um, fiance is a dairy farmer and they had the baby in the living room and I was in the spare room with the door open and I was pumping and it had been like an hour and I I left the door open to talk to her and it had been like an hour and I only had a single pump because again I went into this with like the intention that I didn't care if I did it and it was $50 more to get a double and I was like I'm not spending that so I got a single so in addition to this I was spending twice the amount of time and my friend I'm talking to her she's in the living room and her fiance whispers to her you need to tell her to stop. She's going to get mastitis because uh-huh. he's a dairy farmer. And I had yes. the pump that was so loud and it was like a jet taking off. And he was like, she's been in there forever. You, that's not how you do it. And But he met, like, it was sweet because he was just like, you got to tell yeah. her to stop. Like, you got <laughs> you to, gotta, you gotta, you know, intervene here. Like, this is too much. Like, you know, right. if it was going to happen, it would have. So I remember that. And, you know, Christy came in and was like, Brooke, like, you know, give it a rest, like give it some time, like let, you know, give yourself a rest because I was like, and it was crazy. I mean, it was crazy. I would, you know, he never latched. So I don't think I ever said that he never latched. I delivered on a Friday and, um, there was no lactation support over the weekend. So I had no support other than the nurses who were wonderful and trying to help, but you really need that lactation help when it's, you know, you're brand new and you have no idea what you're doing. And I don't care what anybody says when they say that, like, the babies just know and you just know. Like, I call BS. It's a learning thing and you need help. And I didn't have that help. So, you know, the nurses were trying to help me latch him and we never could get him to latch. He never would. He would just scream. 
And, you know, another part of it is like with a C-section baby, you don't go through the um, hormonal part of delivery where your body knows like, okay, I just did this. Like, I need to do this. And, uh, you know, the production was delayed. So I, you know, one of the nurses was like, let's just try pumping, you know, and they don't typically recommend that, but they, they did, had me do it. And so I was pumping and pumping with this hospital grade pump and I was pumping, and I was pumping. And I remember it was like the second night in the hospital. I finally slept for like four hours and I woke up and I had these rock hard Pamela Anderson, huge boobs. And then it was like the opposite. The nurse came in with ice packs and she was like, oh my God, you're going to get caught. Like, this is not good. And it was just hard. It was a hard situation because nobody knew what to do. I didn't know what to do. And then I came home and I, so my breastfeeding journey with my first son was, I was trying to exclusively pump. And that is just a lot because you're feeding the baby a bottle and whether it be you or, you know, your spouse or whoever, but then you have to stay up and pump clean the pump, put your stuff away. And by the time you're done with that, the baby is awake again. And that was the vicious cycle for like seven weeks that, you know, I literally was sleeping maybe 30 minutes at a time because I was trying to literally pump myself to death. (laughs) Well, and that's why we were able to text probably more hours in a day than most people are even (laughs) awake because Harpwood nurse she you know for the same amount of weeks if not more she would cluster feed so her session would take an hour an hour and a half and then i would you know change her diaper and then maybe she would sleep for a little bit but then i was still up because i'm not somebody that at that time could just go back to sleep because i had postpartum anxiety and thought she's gonna die so you know it was like a two hour process for me and then you know i'm texting you and like trying to listen to heartfelt music to be like you can do this you'll sleep (laughs) one day right and you know so if you can um and if you're comfortable because i'm this you know this second one just breaks my heart so in a nutshell kind of you have your second baby, your milk comes in, you're producing, he's happy. And then you're told there's blood in his stool. And I'll let you take over. Yeah. So then I had my second son and it was very important to me that I tried to breastfeed again. I had a scheduled C-section because I did not labor at all, um, or progress at all rather. Um, you know, my doctor recommended that I have a C-section scheduled. She would, um, you know, she said that it was my choice and I could um, try for vaginal, but it's highly discouraged when you have an induction and, you know, you don't uh, labor at all on your own. You don't, um, you know, progress at all on your own. So I made the exclusive decision, my husband and I, to schedule a C-section. We were not going to go through the grueling 48 hours, you know, process for what ultimately would probably result in a C-section because last time they had confirmed to me that, no, you're too narrow. This, you know, wouldn't have worked. So I actually scheduled my C-section. I did not even, I, I like the doctor I had, so I don't mean to say that I didn't like the doctor I had, but it wasn't my um, primary doctor um, because my primary doctor was on schedule for Friday that week. And um, I did not want to deliver on a Friday. I scheduled my birth um, around the fact that I wanted to be in the hospital when there would be lactation support. Um, I mindfully, consciously made that decision. So I delivered my second on a Wednesday. 
you know, I took all the resources you could possibly have to the hospital with me, um, with my friend's help. Um, you know, they told me what I would need, what I wouldn't need. And, you know, I told them as soon as I arrived that I wanted uh, lactation support. And so they put me on the schedule and, and I had it. Um, and it wasn't easy. Uh, it was terrible. Um, I did not find the bonding part, you know, uh, for quite a while because I found it to be excruciating and exhausting and all the things. But, um, you know, I had a goal. Uh, so I went in there with that goal and, and we did it. Uh, worked super hard. We did it. Um, I was exclusively breastfeeding him and bottle. Um, it was important to my husband that he still take a bottle, um, that we didn't have a baby that would only want me. And that was important to me too, because we had a toddler and I just didn't want to do that. So in my mind, um, in our mind, it was better if we bottle fed him too. And before we left the hospital, he was taking a pacifier, he was breastfeeding and he was drinking out of a bottle. And I was feeling like pretty damn good. Like, all right, like there's no nipple confusion. Like this is, we're, we got it going on. And then I breastfed for, um, I'm gonna say, so so he wasn't gaining weight. Um, he was a little bit small, not crazy small, but he wasn't gaining weight. Um, and the doctor was concerned with that. I couldn't understand it because he was breastfeeding well. Um, I was watching, you know, the suck fuck swallow. I was producing great pumping. Um, so I wasn't really understanding, but what he was doing was he was pooping like 50 times a day. And you know, uh, if you know anything about breastfed babies, they say that they can go a week without pooping and that's normal. And they can also poop 25 times a day and that's normal. So talk about clear as mud <laughs> because how can both of those things be normal? Um, so the doctor did a stool sample uh, and found that he had microscopic blood in his stool. Um, she indicated that typically that would mean that they have a dairy allergy. Um, when they're that young, you really don't test them for allergies, um, but you kind of do like an elimination diet. So I, you know, was devastated because, you know, in, in short, I also had a bad gallbladder with my second pregnancy and I didn't eat fats or oils or anything for the last four months and then I had my gallbladder out three months three weeks postpartum um and so I was really excited to start eating like dairy again <laughs> um but then I I didn't um because I was going to continue to breastfeed he was still struggling he screamed a lot to the point where he didn't have a voice um and then it just kind of came about eventually that you know I could not accommodate his allergies and his severe GERD um with my diet. So I was once again stripped of breastfeeding of no choice of my own. Um, so that was hard. I worked really hard to produce, uh, to have a good supply, to, um, you know, have a good regimen and I had to stop. And that was, you know, another hard blow. But, um, you know, we, we worked through it and he drinks the expensive hypoallergenic formula and he's thriving. He's a nice big 10 month old baby. So it is what it is. <laughs> but you would find out, right? Unless I'm remembering this wrong, that he didn't actually have that allergy. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yes, that is right. We went to a GI specialist because, yeah, I don't know how I forgot that part. We 
so I eliminated dairy from my diet and he was still struggling. Um, but it was uh, my understanding that there can be a lot of hidden dairy and things. Um, so it felt like I was missing the mark. Um, so we went to a GI, so I quit breastfeeding because he was struggling so hard. Um, I quit breastfeeding, we went to the hypoallergenic formula and he was still struggling. So that, you know, kind of raised an eyebrow. Um, I had sent him to daycare and I thought that he was doing better. And it wasn't until eventually my daycare lady finally said to me, no, it's just that you're away from him for eight hours a day. He's definitely still struggling. And so we got a referral to a GI. At this point we were long done breastfeeding. Um, and we seen the GI and yeah, she said, I don't think that he has a dairy allergy. He might have a slight intolerance, but she said, I, you know, he has esophageal, you have an esophageal sphincter um, when you're born, it's the flap in your throat that kind of um, stops the acid from rising up into your throat to where you'll feel it. Um, most babies are underdeveloped and they will develop fully between 12 to 18 months. But when they're underdeveloped, they have severe acid reflux and they don't like to eat because it's painful when it hits their throat. So really what he had was a severely underdeveloped esophageal sphincter. So he was put on this special compounded medication that only the hospital pharmacy can make um, twice a day. And quite literally from the first dose that he took, he was a completely different baby. So it, I would say it was definitely a misdiagnosis. It cost me um, my breastfeeding because I probably could have continued to be dairy-free um, to accommodate the little insensitivity, insensitivity he may have had, um, but in combination with that and the medication, he probably just fine. <laughs> So I kind of mourned the loss of it, and then I mourned the loss of it again. Right. When I found out that it probably didn't have to happen. Yeah, and I'm, you know, not to put it on me, but as a friend, I mourn the loss with you. Like, I'm still angry, you know? <laughs> I mean, and I know it happens, and I know your doctor had the best of intentions. Yeah. But, but it's just like, oh, I know how hard you were, you know? Yeah, it was hard, and I harbored a little, like, some hard, some hard feelings at first about it. Um, you know, uh, I wanted to be angry with the doctor, but we actually had a conversation about it a few months, you know, after this had happened, and, um, because she got the notes from the GI, and, you know, we talked about it, and she was very honest with me. I mean, she has a baby of her own that she was breastfeeding, and, um, you know, she kind of, she said this to me, and it made sense to me, and I've been okay with it since then she just told me you know um as doctors we are just making the the best educated guess we can and you know at the time that's that was the information I had and and I can appreciate that you know she was trying to make my baby comfortable and you know um intentionally stripping me of something that was important to me so I tried to hold on to that but yeah it was it was really hard um <laughs> It was, it was a really hard thing to accept. Okay, sorry about that. So my headphones had messed up and then discontinued from being able to hear me. So I had asked you, what advice would you have for a new mom or maybe a mom going through something similar where their gut says, I don't, 
don't know. I don't think it's my breast milk or I don't think it's what I'm doing. What would you say? I would say that and now I trusted my doctor and I still trust my doctor, but, um, and I was also a tired new mom and I did not want to deal with, you know, referrals and specialty and stuff like that. And I didn't want to believe that there was a problem. Um, you know, we had worked so hard and I didn't want to believe that there was a problem, but clearly when you're putting, whether it be your boob or a bottle in your baby's mouth and he's pushing it out with his tongue and screaming before he's even eight, there's clearly a problem that probably doesn't have anything to do with your milk because he hasn't even ate yet. (laughs) So I would just say, follow your gut. If you don't think that that's what it is, ask for a second opinion and write things down because you are a new mom, whether you have other children or not, you're in the newborn fog, you're tired and you forget things that are really critical to diagnosing your baby. And had I stopped for a second, and said to myself wait it's not after he eats you know those things would have been really good things to um, communicate and I can't even truthfully say that I communicated those things to my doctor because I was so tired and I think we were just focused on the microscopic blood in the diaper and so yeah I guess if anything it would just be to trust your gut write things down, ask for second opinions. And I would add in there to not feel guilty for trying to exhaust all efforts. I've talked to moms whose babies wouldn't latch and found out that they had, you know, two or three ties. And you're like, what is that? So you can have a lip tie. People commonly think of those underneath the tongue, but you can have them underneath the tongue, you can have them at the top of the lip, and then you can have cheek ties, which I didn't know was a thing, which is on the sides of the mouth. So long story short, if something isn't working, don't hesitate or feel guilty to feel like, I don't know, some people might say burden my doctor. It's their job. Ask questions and don't stop until you feel like in your gut they were answered. Um, so that I would add that. So she's Brooke, adding that because she knows that I. She's talking about me. She knows that I don't like to be a burden. So <laughs> <laughs> she's adding that on purpose because she's right. <laughs> I mean, in your, I did another interview this morning. Who also <laughs> they said, um, so you. She knows I don't take care of myself, and I'm like, wasn't gonna call you out, but you called yourself out. So, so I think right. it also speaks that many moms feel that way. You know, and it's not uncommon, but so transitioning to, you know, kind of what had prompted me to even do all this was, you know, the mood disorder aspect. So then we would go on to the opposites in love. I, you know, suffered or struggled with the postpartum anxiety. And you would say you struggled with what? I would say I just struggled with postpartum depression, period, because... I had a really hard time um, adjusting to my new life where I couldn't just get up and go and do, and not like, you know, doing things that I shouldn't be doing or part, I I wanted to like continue to do the extracurricular things that I like to do, volunteer. And I, you just can't 
get a baby up and go. So I, I really struggled with that. Um, embracing. Yeah, it was depressing to me. I felt like I wasn't Brooke anymore. I was just this tired swamp creature mom. And to give our audience an idea of Brooke, who truly has a servant's heart, I mean, her life is filled with helping others. And I'm doing this because I love others, but she's like the extra level of like helping others. Okay. So her day, it would not be uncommon to put on a dinner for 50 people and get noticed like two hours ahead of time. And she'd be like, sure, I can take that off your plate. Or somebody be like, hey, I need four cheesecakes by tomorrow. Can you get that done? Sure, I can get that done. Because Brooke truly loves helping other people. She loves to see other people happy. And so I know talking to you and learning about you to not be able to just like get up and go to the grocery store and get everything you need to, you know, to help somebody out or to run this errand or to go deliver something, you know, I know that that was truly hard on you because your personality is like, if something comes up, I want, it's easy for me to go do it and get it done. And I'm efficient and I'm quick. And I know that I think I'm not speaking for you. Maybe I am. But that was a really tough adjustment. Yeah, definitely. I, it was really hard to, yeah, it was really hard to not be able to do those things. And I tried to do those things. And my mom would tell you that I, I did successfully do those things because, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, my girl. Mm-hmm. will now ride in the car like it's <laughs> nothing. I drag him around everywhere. But yeah, I mean, it, and it would almost, without sounding terrible it would annoy me if I had to you know I would take him to the store and then I knew that I needed to get xyz and I could be in and out in 10 minutes but it took 25 because I had to stop and shake him up a bottle and hold it in his mouth while I pushed the cart and I would find myself like being annoyed like man this isn't fair (laughs) and then you have the immense guilt for feeling that way so yeah uh it was it was a hard adjustment (laughs) to say the least yeah and then you know you have me on the opposite end of the spectrum that's like Brooke I'm afraid to go here and you're like wait what like Jasmine right yeah and we were on the opposite yeah yeah she'd be like you know afraid you can give an example go ahead you can give any example (laughs) you had that came to mind I am an open book sister you know this be like I gotta go to the store but I have to wait till Andy gets home because Harper has to take a nap at nine and I'd be like throw that girl in the car and take her ass to the store (laughs) (laughs) I feel like Brooke no way that's not possible that is not possible and so I think we had humor in it as friends but also supportive you know where um yeah I think what I noticed for you and I don't you know I'm very mindful of you know bringing up things But I think for you, when you were coming home was yes, you know, the transition and the adjustment and we both had difficult babies. Did we say this? Like our babies did not sleep. They did not sleep long. They were fussy. They cried for hours. I think yeah, that was our common denominator. (laughs) Yeah. So I think we almost had to bring comedy into it to survive because one, it's both of our personalities. And two, we would have both gotten sucked into like really dark holes if we would have only bonded on how terrible it was and didn't use humor. Would you agree with that? 
Yeah, I would absolutely agree that texting you and telling you that good news, I didn't shake him today was necessary. <laughs> right. Like, good hey. News, good news. <laughs> right. Like, hey, I just punched a wall, so I didn't punch Harp. So that's a good thing, right. you know. Um, and I really did punch a wall. That's not a lie. But to be able to say like, yeah, and I, and I, I know you haven't listened to all the podcasts, but, um, you know, that was really helpful to have people be like, no, you really are a good mom. You didn't punch your baby or, you know, Mm -hmm. for you to be like, yep, I put stand down, wanted to shake him, but I didn't, you know, and for me to be like, good job, you put him down. We did what we were told. That's what our doctor said to do. And to have no judgment and to not have any shame, I think was really helpful for both of us because it was those nights were long they were hard they were not enjoyable you know I mean my husband and I Andy and I will say the baby stage was not for us we did not love it um we after Harper we didn't think we would have another one because we're like we can no that was a shit show we will not do that again like that was insane And um, to have somebody right there with you in the middle of the night, I think is one of the things that maybe saved my life or even Harper's. And I'm, I'm not joking when I say that because I needed that around the clock support. That's how bad my mental health was at that time. And I don't know if you can relate to that. And I don't know if I've told you that, but I want you to hear that as a friend that I don't really know what the outcome would be if I didn't get those 2 a.m. texts because Andy was working a storm or I wanted him to sleep because he had worked so many hours so I want to thank you for that and I don't know if you feel the same or not but yeah I absolutely feel the same I think that you were my life preserver and I am so grateful to have had you and to still have you um you know I think that sometimes we talk about things like in past tense, but I'm so grateful to still have you and have you for all the things that are still to come our way because we have such a good relationship now. We have such a good bond. We understand each other. We can go days without talking and pick up right where we left. And I do think that's crucial for a mom to have um, because we don't always have the time to talk. We don't always have the time to, you know, laugh and have a good time but we always find the time when it's needed and I'm really grateful for that yeah I would agree with that so I want to be mindful of your time and I ask every person I interview three questions so let's do it let's do it girl all right I'm ready you can look at any part of your postpartum experience what would you say was or has been most supportive Wait, say that again. So look at any part of your postpartum. Like it could be at the beginning. It could be at the end. It could be overall. What has been most supportive to you? What has been the most supportive thing done? Or what would you say was most supportive to you? Um, I would say honestly no judgment. So when you are having a hard day and you are not enjoying being a mom or just not enjoying being a mom to a infant or a toddler, whatever the case may be. You know, I see sometimes when people post things on Facebook and they're like, I am exhausted. My baby only slept two hours. And the common response from, you know, people that are older and their kids are gone and, you know, we'll call them empty nesters is embrace it. It goes by so fast. 
And I personally find that to be annoying because I can understand that at your point where you're at in your life, that's how you feel. And I can appreciate that. But my status or my comment is in regards to where I'm at. And if I said that, I just need you to say, I know, girl, it's hard. It sucks. And I think that, you know, that is what's best for me. And I'm, I'm lucky to have those people, you know, um, I'm lucky to have those people that recognize that and and know that, you know, I don't need you to tell me how lucky I am to have my kids. I love my kids. I love my life. I know how fortunate I am to have my life. I don't need you to tell me that. What I need you to tell me is that it's okay that I'm not okay today. (laughs) So I think that for me, you know, the judgment, leave the judgment at the door. (laughs) Yep. I agree with that. Um, what would you say that you do today to take care of yourself as a mom? Um, I try to intentionally do things that I enjoy. Um, so, you know, we talked earlier about how I like to do things and be involved in things. So, you know, I try to make an effort to do those things, whether it's big or small. Um, you know, if a friend is having surgery or someone's experienced a loss or just whatever the case may be somebody's having a hard time I try to take the time to still do what I used to do and make them a meal and take that to them or you know get them a little gift or you know I try to be an intentional friend and text and say hey how are you doing even when I'm drowning you know in my own life so although those are things for other people for me, um, you know, that is what fills my cup is doing things for other people. That's what satisfies me. So as weird as that sounds, that's, that's what I have to do to keep myself, um, in the best headspace. And lastly, what advice do you have for a listener? Maybe it's a new mom, maybe a pregnant mom, maybe a mom that was like you, that was like, shit did not want to get pregnant you know any type of mom what would be your advice I would just say that always be honest with yourself and those around you um you know those who matter don't mind and those who mind don't matter um you know if people around you are making you feel you know less than or whatever the case may be, then eliminate those people from your life and surround yourself with people that are supportive and in the same headspace as you. Or if they're not, you know, try to give them the benefit of the doubt because they don't understand where you're at. But I don't know. That's a hard, that's, I don't know. It's hard. Um, But I guess in general, give yourself grace, I guess would be my biggest thing. Give yourself grace. And, um, when those around you are not giving you grace, don't give them your time. (laughs) Yeah. Fair. I would agree with that. Time is limited. You know, when you're a mom, your time is limited. You don't have a lot of time. And if you're putting too much time and energy into something, you're not getting much back out of, then, you know, take a big look at that because, You don't need any extra added stress, anything unnecessary. And give yourself grace because every day that 
you make it through and every day that your kids are smiling and happy or even if they're screaming and crying they're still alive well and able because of you as a goal is to what keep yourself and your baby alive anything else is extra that's what my doctor yep. said yep so keep your tread that water yeah so you guys heard it first brooke does like to do nice things for others so hold her accountable <laughs> for making me a cheesecake this holiday season because the cranberries are out I've been asking all year. The cranberries were not out. They are officially out. So you heard it first. Hold her accountable to my cheesecake. And okay, all jokes aside, Brooke, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for being so honest with everybody. I really appreciate it. I appreciate our friendship. If anybody has any questions or needs resources, please email postpartumtherapist at gmail.com. Listen to our other episodes if you're in need, in need of support or just curious what other moms have experienced. All of the women that I have interviewed are here because they want to help and support other moms, not hurt. So thank you, Brooke, and we'll see you on the next episode. Bye, guys. Thank you for having me. Yes, bye.